We are back for another episode of Crypto Conversion Podcast. Um, we have Matt Pinto joining us. Um, he is the reason we all met. He put on the Catholic Crypto Conference in November of 2022, and uh, we met there and started this podcast uh, in the wake of that. Um, and so, yeah, we're happy to have him. Um, so Matt, it, he founded Ascension Press, which um, I, I think a lot of people um I think one of the most notable things is is the Bible in a Year and Catechism in a Year by Father Mike Schmidt. I, I know that topped some charts um, when it first released, um, but a number of books, um, you know, since the 90s, um, you know, whatever, lots of publications and, and creation of media there. Um, so Matt founded uh, Ascension Press and he was the president uh, until 2021 um, and he stepped down. And um, since then, he had started the Genesis Group, which is a Catholic venture capital group uh, fund. And he also put on this Catholic Crypto Conference and started the Catholic Crypto Network. So we are excited to dig into that, um, dig into how, how that all came about, um, you know, this direction, uh, this change of direction and, you know, his professional life. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to seeing what he has to say. So Matt, if you want to start us off, how did you, um, you how did you hear about Bitcoin and crypto? Um, you know, what, what got you into it? What was attractive about it? Sure. In 2017, uh, right before the $20,000 run up, I, I was at a dinner party and, and I had heard about Bitcoin and I just struck a conversation up with the person who was sitting next to me. And this person was already a Bitcoiner. In fact, he was probably a Bitcoin maxi. And although he bought Ethereum, so maybe he, he wasn't, but clearly he was a, a Bitcoiner. And uh, within a week or so, I had, uh, I had made a, a modest purchase. And uh, then I forgot about it for about two and a half years or three years or so. Still held it, but forgot about it. And uh, then when I uh, sold Ascension, and began to just kind of reflect on life. Um, I forget how it started again, but uh, I, I've said to a couple of people that I'm darn tempted to think that it just was, it was a grace. It was a grace of God that just put this back into my head. And I began the going down the rabbit hole. And in that first year, which would have been, let's say, March of 2021, for like the next year, I spent hundreds of hours um, learning crypto in the broad sense of the word, and then Bitcoin in particular. And then over time, uh, although I still believe in other projects, uh, I definitely am, am more moving in the direction of Bitcoin. So I would, I would call myself a Bitcoin mostimalist, not maximalist, but mostimalist. Uh, I, I really do believe that that there is a, a fundamental difference with Bitcoin than with everything else. That being said, I do believe other chains are going to be there and be useful. And I do believe NFTs are going to be a part of our future. The, the digitization is always a difficult word to say of property. Um, and then lockdown on blockchains, I think, is going to be you know, ubiquitous. So it's been a, been a fabulous journey. Like uh, you guys, I got in kind of right at the high with the second time I woke up to uh, crypto. And so, you know, I got caught in with the purchases at a high. So it's been a two and a half year uh, winter. But, um, you know, I've been dollar cost averaging. So actually, you're, you're now kind of caught up again. 
So um, this is interesting. I you know wasn't sure what the timing. So this was uh, leaving Ascension was a different you know reason. It, you didn't say, oh, I'm going to dedicate myself my life to Bitcoin now. You know, so I'm I'm going to leave this. Um, it was two different um, events. No, no, it was time. I, I okay. Ascension was you know the work love of my life. Twenty three years running that fabulous company and it's. It's uh, equally, if not more fabulous now. And um, so, I mean, it was just fabulous. It was just time for a change. 23 years of, of running the company is, is good. And then I had a whole host of other ideas. So Bitcoin really wasn't on my mind in February of 2021 yeah. when it was, but we, it was within a few weeks after the, the separation that I must have seen a video and then it all just clicked almost yeah. instantly. Instantly, I, I kind of knew, guys, after just hearing probably, you know, a few hours, five to 10 hours of videos that, oh my goodness, we really could be talking about something different with, with new rails on which a financial system could be built. And immediately, maybe I heard it on a, a talk or maybe I deduced it on my own hmm. that, that I, I saw that, oh no, this is probably the next big tech thing. And then it became very quickly analogous to the internet. And uh, when I was eventually conceived of the idea of the Catholic Crypto Conference, um, it was a strange idea for the Catholic world. It's a strange idea for the world in general, but it was a strange idea for the more conservative Catholic world, which tends to really be behind technologically the, the secular world and the evangelical world. Um, but as soon as I started sharing on radio interviews after I had established that I was going to do a conference, as soon as I started sharing two things, one, I would say to them, I, whoever was interviewing me, I would say, if I had come to you in 1994 and said, hey, guys, there's this thing called the Internet. I think the church should do a conference. Mm -hmm. You would have looked at me as strange back then as I'm getting looked at right now. Point one. Point two. The second thing I shared is that crypto is much more than just cryptocurrency. There's a whole host of derivatives. And as soon as I shared those two things about the analogy of the Internet and the fact that crypto is not just cryptocurrency, because that's what scares people, um, but it's much broader. Then people started thinking, OK, this could have real potential. And I started, you know, then then the rest is history. But yeah. no, I didn't leave Ascension uh, to start this. I, I I wouldn't have been ha I wouldn't have had crypto in my mind at all when I left um, the position of Ascension. So let's let's get a little bit um, kind of off the the rails here. Not too crazy though. Um, it's kind of it's I, I guess you maybe say divine intervention or serendipity. We're practically a year from the conference this this week, so it's pretty cool that we're able to have this conversation about it. And and I will preface um, uh, Matt and I both you know Catholic homeschool kids, him much more than me, but. My mom had every Matt Pinto thing uh, growing up from Ascension Press, from the Friendly Defenders uh, flashcards to um, did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? Just to just to preface there, so I'm very familiar with with some of the the Matt Pinto writings. And one thing that I've always appreciated about what you like to do, Matt, is you like taking the complex topics and then simplifying them. And so it's similar to this crypto space. And that was one thing that I really appreciated about the conference was there was multiple different tracks. There was tracks for beginners, tracks for people that were a little more advanced. And 
I learned a lot. You brought a lot of great subject matter experts to the table, both Catholics, non-Catholics, a lot of different faiths represented and a lot of different approaches to the industry, which was really refreshing to have kind of a crypto agnostic approach to a conference like that, because so often these conferences get very pigeonholed in one direction that fits an agenda. So I guess just kind of speaking to that, being close to a year away, if not a year away from the conference, what have been some of the fruits that were stemmed from the conference and what what is being carried out or or following the conference that you know of that has uh, that has been going on and now that we're about a year removed? Yeah, a good question. And thanks uh, for the kind words. Um, I think the first fruit is, is totally an esoteric intangible. And that is, um, and I'm not applauding me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my modality in life in general. But I think we as a church should be applauded for doing the conference by the sheer fact that we stepped into um, a little bit of a, of a danger zone, uh, something out of our comfort level. And the church, anytime the church can do this, the, well, I'm speaking of the Catholic church specifically, but certainly the, the broader definition of, of the Christian church, anytime the church can do something bold, um, I'm going to tip my hat to that. Even if we strike out, I, I just think about you know, the, the parable, the talents, um, and I think of the, the verse in the book of Revelation, I'd rather you be cold or hot, just not lukewarm. I think the Lord uh, blesses those who in faith step out. And so one of the first fruits, Brandon, I think, is another notch in the belt on the part of someone in the church who said, you know, let's take, take a step forward. It was actually, guys, in truth, it was reputationally risky. Uh, I had been known as, you know, very meat and potatoes. Granted, Ascension was progressive, no doubt. And we were more progressive than than most uh, in this space. But um, uh, so it, it was it was a little bridge too far, though, for uh, at least in the initial conversations with people. So this is a long way to say the first fruits were the fact that that we did this, that yeah, I took a step forward and, and we did this. The second uh, is very simple. We, we mailed out to all 380 plus bishops. We did, I did a lot of media interviews. It totally opened up the conversation. It softened the ears um, for what I think will be the next FOMO in, in the next half year to 12 months, six to 12 to 18 months, which it's coming. It will have already been a been there, done that a little bit for the church. And so I think mission accomplished there. It won't be a, as weird a conversation six to eight, uh, uh, 12 to 18 months from now. And so that's another fruit. But then on a more practical level, thanks to the not in small part to the work of uh, Matt uh, Bagazinski and a few other people, um, uh, David Mascarinas, I hope I'm saying David's last name correctly. In about two weeks, like a year anniversary of the co- conference, we're releasing the white paper. And that will begin to get discussions. I do plan to mail that out to uh, the bishops after we get it cleaned up uh, a little bit more. And uh, so uh, a third fruit, Brandon, and, and you know, I tend to, whatever is a short answer, I'll make it a long answer. Yep. Um, All good. So that's a third fruit. That we'll, have. we'll have this white paper. You know, Matt, uh, you, you kind of talked about uh, the reputational risk putting on a conference like this. I wonder if you can speak a little more to that. You know, here on this podcast, I would say primarily we talk to 
mainly people who are already in the space, you know, Bitcoiners, crypto people, they understand, we understand the implications of the, some of these technologies. But like you say, there is something of a reputational risk when you go out there, you know, to the world and especially to the church and you're representing, you know, crypto and what people associate that, especially now in the in the wake of the bear market is, uh, you know, major crypto scams, uh, FTX, SBF, right, the Luna Terra crash, uh, people just losing a lot of money. And people look at these technologies and kind of see them as like betting markets, maybe gambling, um, and they don't. Uh, they maybe don't see you know what we would just recognize to be you know these very powerful technologies that can do a lot of good in the world. I'm curious how you frame um, when you're talking about having conversations with the church and with Christians. How do you frame what you're doing here? Like, what are the intentions uh, with the Catholic Crypto Conference and? You know, how do you kind of, I guess, kind of ease those tensions uh, and initial hesitance that people might have when they're approaching uh, crypto and Bitcoin? Yeah, so maybe three things. Uh, good question. Uh, one, the analogy of the Internet really worked for me every time. And when I said it, Father Smith, Father Johnson, Bishop Jones, if I had come to you in 1994 and said there's something called the Internet, your first response would have been, isn't that that thing with pornography? Because in the very beginning days, guys, really maybe the only vibrant businesses in the first two, three, four years of the internet were pornographers, uh, to which the answer would be yes, but Father Smith, Bishop Johnson, uh, many believe it's going to be much bigger and touch all aspects of our lives. As soon as I shared that analogy, Connor, it really, really helped. But two other things uh, that I shared in, in these various media interviews I did is that historically, the, oh, the irony that the church gets accused of being behind the times technologically and in other ways nowadays. And it is, in a sense. And I think there's a reason for that, which I'd like to unpack. But historically, I would contend that the Catholic Church was in the top one, two, or three of all civil entities for being the most progressive in embracing um, the new technologies of whatever age, for example. I mean, look at the names of the early uh, fathers of science. More than a few of them were Catholic priests. And um, you probably saw that opening presentation at the conference where uh, Father Andrew Pinsent, who himself worked at CERN in Switzerland before he became a Catholic priest, took us on a tour of the church's embracing of uh, technology in the past. So because uh, Connor and, and Matt and, and Brandon, because the church actually is very comfortable with the incarnation and the ramifications of being comfortable with the incarnation, that God became man, is an affirmation of the created world. I would contend, gentlemen, that the Catholic Church has the most balanced view of matter and spirit. Um, we don't over-spiritualize nor over-materialize things. It's really because of our catechesis on the incarnation that we're comfortable with technology. So the second point, the first is that the internet analogy, the second point is that the church historically has been comfortable with technology. And then the third point, Connor, that I made often in the media interviews was that we Christians, we should be almost always postured with a hopeful anticipation that with every new creation in the world, technological advancement or other, that perhaps God is doing something new in salvation history. Because I would contend, and I think the church would contend, that just like Connor 
having an idea in his in his mind is a bit of a spark of the divine. The fact that you as a human can think of new creations, to me, that's a that's a reflection of the very creation of God himself. And so to distill this down, creation that you and I think of in the here and now is a reflection of the creator himself. And the church would affirm creation, ergo, uh, anytime there is a new technology in the world, I believe we Christians should not hold up our fingers like we're fending off the devil as our first response. Our first response, uh, because of the grace of God and because of his creative action in the world, should be a hopeful anticipation that God is doing something new. And if God is doing something new, somehow, some way, that is connected to the whole plan of salvation. So, I mean, that's a big whopper of a statement that, you know, even new technology might be connected to God's eternal plan of salvation. You've mentioned this analogy to the internet a few times, and I, I'm curious if you can, you know, maybe just draw us through the the hypothetical, you know, what would have been different about the internet today if we had a Catholic internet conference in 1995? And, and maybe along that line, you know, what will crypto look like, you know, or not look like if, if Catholics miss out on it, you know, if, if we don't embrace it? Yeah, yeah, really, really good question, Matt. I mean, I think it's possible just based on the law of averages that had the church been aggressively yes uh, versus maybe a posture of fear, what it more likely was, guys, quite frankly, was just a posture of we're busy. Um, you know, we're busy doing 18 other things, which is just kind of the nature of the beast, also a bureaucracy. I mean, you get the bad with the good. The, the bureaucracy, I would contend, has preserved. Christianity for 2,000 years uh, is, is A, because of ultimately the charism of Christ for the church, but he works through human instruments. And, and uh, this bureaucracy has, has given us the scriptures. It has preserved what, you know, uh, you know, Western culture. It has done so much for us. But one of the downsides is that it does bog you down. And so, Matt, I think just based on the law of averages, had we done one or two or 32 conferences back in 1993, four, five, and six in those early years, it would have been, had a little bit of an effect like we used to have in Hollywood. The church was very present in the mind of the powers that be in Hollywood. Um, I forget the name of the code, but you can look it up. But there was a, like a decency code that Hollywood lived by. And, and I believe they would even confer with representatives of the church. So the church's presence um, really had a strong effect, you know, on Hollywood. And similarly, had the church really aggressively embraced the Internet. Now, I know we do have writings of John Paul II, um, but I'm talking about like activism, not just, you know, um, theological reflection. So uh, I think uh, I think, Matt, just law of averages, it would have had more impact. It could have, for example, guys, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. That the church, if it had been there and in the face of the powers that be, it could have said, there, there's no adult content. And if it is adult content, every extension must be dot XX, you know, X instead of like whatever extension it wants. In other words, so the world would have known 
that no extension is allowed uh, for for that except you know xxx dot x instead of dot com, and uh, just that alone, think about what that could have done for uh, mass filtering and uh, and and mechanisms like that. So, uh, and to answer your second part of your question, Matt, um, am I hopeful that our effort that I did and that you guys participated in uh, was enough to affect trajectory? Well, probably not. Um, but is it possible that the right people were at that conference or the right conversations ensued? Sure, it's possible. Uh, it's a better chance that something will happen because of the conference than if the conference wasn't there. So I think it's possible that uh, there is a bit of a consciousness out there that the mere existence now, guys, uh, thanks to the work of Connor and and Matt um, of the CatholicCryptoNetwork.com, the new uh, web uh, domain and community that we're starting to build. I think it's possible that we will have an effect, but it's hard to tell. You know, I, I think it's possible that we are more just a voice in the wilderness, but I think it's possible that we could affect trajectory. Just to... Again, hypothesize what might happen, you know, what might the future of crypto look like with or without intentional Catholic involvement and activism? Yeah, well, like like the, the way of most everything that it, we tend to go to the, the path of least resistance, we tend to reduce everything to uh, its economic uh, value and, and, and therefore there's less of a conscience uh, of, of maybe noble capitalism. Uh, or altruistic capitalism. And so uh, without the, a Catholic voice, without a, a Christian voice, without a Judeo-Christian voice, um, it, uh, it probably will just get reductionist and, and become simply a tool without any conscience at all. Um, whereas conversely, um, it, it, it could be more than that. Who, uh, who knows? I mean, it's very possible, like, I know we're having conversations right now, the world that is, about the dangers of AI. Mm. I mean, it's possible that the rails of crypto might be seen to be so powerful that um, that it needs a consci conscientious discussion. I do think, guys, that we may, by default, have get moved into um, stable practices by the potential of Bitcoin in particular, and I'll just briefly connect. This is why I asked Robert Breedlove to give that last talk at the conference, where um, more or less the, the operating thesis of the last talk is that sound money leads to sound thinking and sound equilibrium and, and logic, and sound logic and equilibrium leads to more moral living. Just like we're attracted to um, quality food very often over fast food. We know that fast food tastes good, but we can develop our taste buds to enjoy more quality food. Uh, just like we can develop our eyes to appreciate more beautiful art uh, than, you know, maybe despairing art. Well, so too, I believe if, if humanity has sound money foisted on it, that I think it could have a ripple effect because the thesis is weak money creates a I need to get my now attitude, whereas sound money uh, disposes the mind and heart 
to be thinking slower and more long-term and more conservatively. So some of the hopes and contentions of Bitcoiners in particular is that sound money will magnetically pull the culture into a better habits as a whole. Because if you can pull the wool over people's eyes with money, well, then clearly you can pull the wool over people's eyes with loose sexuality, loose everything. Yeah, I like that. I like that framing of it. And, you know, um, speaking about uh, the reputational risk to go out there and, and represent crypto, there might be something of, you know, if there was more Christians in this space, then maybe we wouldn't have seen as many of, you know, these events happening. If we had people that would, uh, you know, call the technology more to account. We, we hear a lot about the ideals of Bitcoin, like you say, with sound money and uh, Web3 as well has its own ideals of decentralization, you know, nice. empowering every individual person to own their own um, their own assets and whatnot. But sometimes we see in the space, you know, people not living up to these ideals and the technology that's being developed doesn't always necessarily live up to the, these ideals. And one thing I have noticed, just speaking, we've, we've spoken to a lot of Christians in this space over the course of this podcast. You know, we do an episode every week. So, gosh, we've had to have had at least 20 guests so far, at least. But um, one thing I do notice with a lot of the Christians we talk to is although, you know, gaining gaining profit as these projects go up is something that I'm sure makes everybody happy, there's something beyond that. And I do notice that a lot of the Christians will be seeking some of those non-monetary reasons to be in the space. And uh, the technology that gets developed that way is often better than, you know, technology that gets developed without Christian input. So I think it's, I think it's great. The more we can bring this conversation, conversation to Christians and bring more Christians into this space and, you know, have, like you say, that consciousness in the Bitcoin and Web3, you know, wider community. Yeah, Connor, that's a good insight. And and I've never thought about that before, that I do wonder whether numerically speaking, as a percentage, that there are more Christians and uh, persons of goodwill who see value in the true, the good, and the beautiful. And by that, I mean, uh, whether it's decentralization or whether it's the hard money principles of Bitcoin, whether there are more um, Christians at the advent of this then, because as you know, probably better than I, there was also a libertarian string, you know, in the first five to seven to eight years. Now that's getting tempered. It's still there, but you have more non-libertarians coming in. And so it's diluting it. But um, I, I think that there is, uh, I think it's possible that the number numerically speaking is higher. Uh, secondly, there would have been in the early days of the internet, because I remember this, a, a real hopefulness there too that we were going to be able to democratize and we have democratize a lot of things first and foremost was that every person could become their own publisher and and that did have a dramatic effect on the culture there is no doubt about it when i grew up guys there were basically three tv stations abc nbc cbs and then uh, cable didn't even exist then and uh, so uh, that's an interesting point. I, I think there would be more Christians, but I do think that there's something baked into um, crypto, and I would say Bitcoin in particular, that uh, may not have been as present in the Internet uh, that would thus tie it to a Christian worldview. And I think, uh, I think the, this, this concept of hard money, just like I think a Christian over the past many thousands of years, a couple thousand years, 
would say that there's something true, good, and beautiful about gold, like physical gold, because it's different than uh, puka shells and, and a whole host of other things that you can create. I think a similar vein of thinking is present with Bitcoin and maybe even more so that this is true, good and beautiful. Therefore, it will magnetically pull the culture in a better direction. One thing you mentioned was the reputation staking that kind of went into, you know, you putting your neck out for putting on the conference. I just like, can we just reflect back for a second? What? craziness was going on in the space at that time we were just coming out of the ftx debacle the terra luna crash it was just it was insane to think about going to a conference like that like i know even some of my own family was like you gonna go do that now it, it like because everybody was seeing the tabloids the news regarding sbf and and all of the fraud and stuff that was that was coming to the surface and it, one thing that I kind of alluded to at that conference was it was the epitome of where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more that we were all there having those conversations. And it definitely made me um, two fruits I got from the conference. Um, one, I appreciated all the Bitcoiners you had there because it it gave me some insight in terms of some of the situations that I was in in crypto that made me kind of pull back and take some more conservative approaches, especially with getting custody and um, getting hardware wallets and, and multi-sigs especially. But I'm just like looking back, I had just pulled all of my assets out of FTX because I knew something was in the water. I, I smelled something in the water. And then all of a sudden everything went crashing down and then we all went to the conference. I'm just like, holy smokes, What whatever was going on in the space at that time and and we had the Catholic Crypto Conference to all kind of join together and be one for, for those days. That was, I, I really needed that at that time in the space. And it's just insane how, just, I don't know, Matt and Connor um, and and you, Matt, what you all thought going to the conference in light of what was going on in the space. But that's just something I sometimes look back upon considering the conditions have improved a lot as of late. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was doing media interviews right at that time, like right up to the day or two before the conference. So FTX was front and center because uh, it happened a week earlier, like literally, literally seven days earlier. Yeah. And, and, and what I said to people, and I actually, guys, I got to tell you, at the time, I thought it was a grace that the thought popped into my head. And, and, and as soon as I said it, I think everyone universally agreed. And I said, um, I said, this is precisely why we need a conference. Otherwise, we're out there fending on our own, trying to figure it out with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, but I mean, what better place than than the common union of of, of faith and higher belief uh, would we want to fraternize with than than uh, such persons as we discern how should Christians navigate this brave new world? So I actually wondered. I actually wondered. Whether uh, our, you know, the timing was providential, and uh, mm. but the distilled statement I'll make again is: I said to people, "This is precisely why we need a conference for Catholics. Otherwise, we're going to be out there uh, fending on our own with very little chance of uh, finding uh, answers from a, a perspective of a common worldview." Tagging on that, I know you said you 
you started thinking about crypto, I guess it would have been like February 21, you think. Uh, and then the conference was November 22. How, how early, how long were you planning this conference? Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, was like, was there ever a moment during that whole debacle? Cause Luna was, that had to have been, I think that was June, June. Was yeah. June or July? That was June. Okay. There was a lot of events in that space during that time. I, I'm wondering if there's, there was ever a moment when maybe you were thinking, maybe I shouldn't do this conference. No, not because of those reasons. Um, uh, because Luna was big and I was there and I even remember where, where I was in, in a car line, you know, um, uh, when, when I first heard the news, but I didn't connect Luna in the manner that the world connected FTX. Um, you know, FTX just seemed like so much more of a Luna was big within the community. FTX was, was on, on the headlines. So that was a different level, but I had, I had, I had a half dozen instances or more during those months leading up. I, I first conceived of the idea when I was at the Bitcoin conference, I think. So maybe it was March or so. Uh, it was about March. And then I started getting the wheels turning somewhere around April. And I knew I only, I, it was only about six months. It was a pretty big task. And guys, one other thing that, that I'll share with you. Um, uh, I knew the conference had to be big um, the first time out. And, and that was, that was financially very, very risky. It ended up being financially very painful. Um, uh, but I, I knew in order to get the attention of the church, it had to, it had to feel substantial and otherwise it's, it's a small quirky idea for a crackpot, small group of people. Um, and so the approach really worked. I mean, we had a big footprint and uh, 35 speakers. It sent a message to the church that I love that, yo, guys, something big is happening here. If we had done it small, like really small, like we would have had 40 people there and we would have had um, uh, it would have been barely a blip. But because it was done big, it really began to open up the, the conversation. You know, Brandon, you asked earlier what material effect. And I, and I said, we mailed to every bishop. And we did a lot of media interviews. There is no doubt about it. I, I knew it at the time that the church is more aware of crypto and these technologies um, during that whole interview process leading up to the conference um, because, because of, of the manner in which it was carried out. Um, one other. Um, so, Connor, I, to, the short answer to the question is it was like March, April was about six months. And yes, there were many instances. But the reason why there were many instances was because it was just a massive boulder that had to be pushed up a hill. It was it was there was too much cognitive dissonance. There was too much. This is weird. Um, and, and, and by the way, guys, it, it's it was less weird um, for the FTX reasons or the Terra Luna. It was more weird because of the word cryptocurrency, the word crypto. Is cryptic. It sounds evil. It and and you're gonna you're gonna fool around with the currency. I mean, you're, it, this is this is borderline crackpot. Cryptocurrency. I mean, that's why we had to quickly dispel that it was just so much more than about quote currency. But those would be the main fears that the average Catholic, the average person in the world, why they would be afraid. Because you're talking about something that is so common in the everyday life, money. And you're talking about creating an alternative money and you're attacking the word crypto on top of it. 
cryptic, you know, scary. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's it's really one of the least marketable things you can you could do. We've actually had some trouble with this podcast too, uh, but mo- mainly from Bitcoin, as I would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a whole some, uh, simultaneous skirmish going on, and uh, and believe me, I, I I feel it as well. And I'm I'm still in the camp that we use the broader words, even as I become more and more a Bitcoin mostimalist. Fair enough. So you've mentioned a couple of times, um, you know, this reputational risk. I am just curious, you know, practically in your life, how this has affected you. You know, have you become the crypto guy in your social circles? You know, do you have I, I don't know how have you gotten reached out by uh, reached out to by people you've never met because they're they want they're curious to talk to someone who's a crypto guy or I how, how has that been for you? I mean, it's been fine. It, it is still a little bit um, of, a, of a sticky uh, thing that. I need to give context to, in fact, I was at an event the other night and, and a person said, Hey, I just got your newsletter. And, um, and then I, I reminded them that, that this was an important project uh, that needed to be done. Even while I was doing it, guys, I knew that, that it was almost like I wanted to push this project into the church because it was the right time to do it. And then, you know, have it be just one of the many projects being worked on. So, um, so it was, um, it, yeah, Matt, it, it, it was, but fortunately, uh, the media interviews really helped. So there was a lot of media interviews being done. And then the conference ended up being about as successful as the conference could have been for a first year conference in a niche world like this. Um, and those who were there, you guys know, um, you know, I think it surprised us all with the multiple tracks and, and the program book and, and the, uh, the caliber of production. So I think, I think, I think we ended up dodging a bullet because it went very well. And I think we dodged a bullet because it, um, because of the media interviews really gave me a chance to take a half hour on these, these shows and really explain the vision. And once people heard the vision, the analogy to the internet and the fact that crypto does not just mean cryptocurrency, it really means about a six or seven categories uh, that that was enough. There was another reality, though, and, and I thank God for this. And I genuinely thank God for this because of the Ascension 20 uh, something years experience and the fact that Ascension uh, had such a good reputation. It really gave the crypto conversation a chance because I had more than a few people say um, that they were curious that I was doing it in the beginning. But, you know, because in part of the credibility of Ascension and, and my time there, they gave it a hearing and I'm glad they did. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great success, too. I, I was surprised to see so many people. Um, I think Brandon had made the comment before that it was probably the the largest gathering of um of Catholic men of all ages, you know, in, in the U S you know, probably yeah, besides this was clergy, Matt, this was one of my insights. This, that event was probably the most diverse and, but from an age group demographic standpoint, but in lockstep in terms of vision and approach to technology and the faith, I mean, you can't have a conference in a, in a diocese where people are, it, much closer in proximity Randy, where everybody can thinks the, the same. So and 
I felt like that was one of the more interesting things I thought, because obviously the spaces, it, it highly attracts more, you know, more males. We can be transparent about that. Like call a spade a spade. Like we appreciate our sisters in Christ that also dabble in the space, but it's, it's predominantly male driven right now. And that, and, but I hadn't been to something where I could have a conversation with anybody and we would basically be aligned in like 20 different things that would come up in conversation. Guys, I actually think it was, uh, and I tip my hat to the thank God for Bitcoin conference people, but I think it might've been the largest gathering numerically speaking of Christians and crypto because, you know, I've been to the thank God for Bitcoin conference and the the numbers are maybe a hundred or 125, 150. So I think it might be worldwide, the largest gathering of uh, religious believers, you know, in, in the, in the crypto space. Um, there was one other uh, thought I had that, um, oh, I mean, guys, I really took a lot of joy in, in a number of the letters we received before the conference of the enthusiasm that people like yourself who were working in crypto and who were believers, they felt out there alone in a wilderness and, and they could not believe that their two great loves of their faith and crypto or new technology were, were meeting in one place. And so there really was, uh, I remember late in the game, like in the final uh, maybe six to eight weeks, where, where there was an element of solace amidst that boulder pushing up the hill of, of this task um, of, of trying to sell this message and sell this conference. It really was a nice shot in the arm to see the letters. I bet you it was probably maybe 15 uh, different communiques that we received of people saying, oh my goodness, can't believe this is happening. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. I'm working in this field. I feel alone. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. So that it really was a gift to me at the time. When my buddy Chad sent me the the website, I like, it was like probably five, six weeks before the conference began. And I was like, we're, we're going right. And he's like, what? I'm like, I mean, I'm going, whether you're going or not, are you coming with me? And then we ended up both going, but it was, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, I don't know if there'll ever be anything where I can say like, yeah, two things I'm really into my faith and crypto are going to be like joined in terms of one event essentially. So that was kind of at least my story with, with how I ended up in, in Philadelphia randomly in November. I think I bought a ticket it might've been two weeks before the conference. Cause that's the first time I heard about it. And I said, well, it's in two weeks. I got to be yeah. there, you know, Christians and crypto. Absolutely. It was a very uh, impressive conference. I want to pay Connor, uh, two compliments. One Connor, first off your spirit, um, uh, being at the conference, uh, a, a Christian from another tradition. I loved your spirit. And I got to tell you, when I read your article after my goodness, and you've heard me give you this compliment before, but I'm saying it for, anyone who's uh, listening now to hear uh, it was fabulous. It was such a good, it showed your skill as a writer. It was balanced. You didn't allow things, um, you know, that, that could have been problems in the space. Uh, I think I remember them being addressed or hinted at it, it just, you really, really were a gentleman having you there. It was great. And then the fruit of what you produced after uh, was great. So anyone, you know, Google Connor's name and 
Catholic Crypto Conference and read the fabulous article he put together. Oh, thank you very much. Kind compliments, though. I know we only have a few minutes left, and uh, you know that we've been talking about the conference this whole time, which was really absolutely fabulous. I did want to touch just maybe before you got to leave a little bit on the Genesis group. This is the first I'm hearing about it. Uh, I just um, saw it here on the outline from Matt, and I'm kind of curious what the intentions are with that. Um, you know, we, uh, we've talked a little bit about uh, Coinbase. They recently have done an accelerator. They've been calling on people who are building in the space uh, to come out to California, and they did a little event for them there. And we're not exactly sure what the intentions are there, but it does seem like uh, Brian Armstrong, at least there with Coinbase, is, is looking to invest in the space. And I know he, Coinbase, got it start with Y Combinator, which is a very famous uh, venture capitalist fund out of Silicon Valley. And uh, they own yeah. pieces of all, almost all of the yeah, major so you, tech you, companies you that have seen come out on um, my you know, in the past uh, decade or so. So I think it's I think it's a very important initiative to see Christians in the space. So yeah, I'm just curious uh, what the Genesis Group is about and what your intentions are there. Yeah, and I can only speak in broad terms uh, because um, uh, it's a regulated industry, and uh, mm -hmm. we just need to speak in broad terms at, at most. No problem. I'll, I'll say that the even the evangelical world is um, I, I tip my hat to the evangelical world many 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 times over these thirty years. That have been, you know, in the space. Uh, uh, the evangelical world has uh, about forty-three, at my last count, uh, private equity venture capital incubators, some combination thereof. And in the Catholic world, you have angel investors, some really good people who uh, whose names I know, uh, who are private angel investors or um, who are they 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 have funds uh, that are set up to help. Catholic founders. And so I love the church. I believe the propositions of the church. And I've always been enamored with um, some of these, these, these great religious leaders who've done incredible things. And so I'm attracted to the idea of helping Catholic founders get started and then mentoring them. And really the best vehicle to do that through is through an incubator or a fund. And so the, the most I can say in broad strokes, simply because, you know, I'm, I'm learning the, the, the rules of, of the SEC and based on what type of fund you are. But I'll, I can just speak in broad terms that this is an attempt, and I believe we're going to succeed. This is an attempt on the part of laymen and, and women in the church to launch an incubator VC to help fund Catholic founders who want to create in the Catholic ecosystem. That's our particular focus, in the Catholic ecosystem. So um, really, in a certain sense, the crypto conference was one of the first fruits of that, even before um, Genesis was formally launched. It was always in my mind's eye that this is the type of thing that we will fund. Um, and so uh, you know, I'm going to look for anything that I believe blesses humanity. And um, in this first approach, they need to be economically viable. Uh, I'm already conceiving ideas on, on how to help nonprofits, uh, but that will come later. So in the broadest sense, Connor, it's, um, it's an entity that helps create Catholic entities. That, that, that's great. As we start closing things up here, what's, what's next for uh, Catholic Crypto Network, Catholic Crypto Conference? Um, we, we, we're not having a, a conference uh, this year, it, it looks like, but what's, what's next? Well, the Genesis Group you know, is going to be vetting uh, the 
the conference okay. in relation to other ideas. And, and we're going to see if, uh, if, if this is something that will be further funded. Um, if not, then we, we need to slowly build up the Catholic crypto network. So the next time we do a conference, we go in with two or 300 uh, people even before the marketing kind of sure. starts, you know, in any serious manner, because the economics really have to um, work out better next time. I knew going in that it was going to be uh, kind of uh, just, I viewed it like a tithe in part, part of the, the tithe to the church. Um, the first years are very difficult to succeed on. And, uh, but so the future of the Catholic crypto network is to slowly over the next half year to a year, be ready for the next FOMO that's coming. And thanks to good people like Connor and Matt, uh, Matt B, Matt Bagazinski, and uh, Brandon, I welcome you to join on board with us. We're going to build out a community, a place where Catholics can turn to for commentary and content uh, in this crypto and all its derivatives world. And so I think I could envision a, a Bitcoin maybe focused conference uh, next or an AI maybe focused conference next. That's a little bit off field of crypto proper, but maybe important to do. Or if the network continues to grow and we have sponsorships, because that's really what it comes down to is sponsorships, then we will do a conference. My guess is that the next conference will be um, a year or a year and a half from now. We'll probably do some online conferences, which can be done for a lot you know, a fraction of the cost economically. Uh, but, you know, thanks to good contributions from Connor and Matt and uh, Gavin Lewis, uh, who recently joined us, we're going to slowly build out this Catholic crypto network. And uh, we're going to be there for those who have questions and um, to hopefully influence this, this new, uh, this new budding space. Matt, just know you have the support of our podcast. And, you know, if it wasn't for the conference, the, the three of us wouldn't have gotten together. And uh, just, you know, the, that that conference is is what inspired me to, you know, get connected back with, with Matt and Connor to do something like this because um, it, it just, it, it felt right. And, and we particularly wanted to continue the conversations that we had at the conference. So uh, know of our support. Uh, we appreciate your uh your support of us in, in our endeavor here and however we can intersect in our uh in our content in the future we're 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 game for it and uh know of our prayers and continued support of the initiatives that you're going to bring forth in uh in getting catholics and christians connected through this space and emerging technologies thank you matt again for stopping by thank you guys